I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the Jordan Harbinger Show, you'll hear amazing stories from people that have lived them, from spies to CEOs, even an undercover agent who infiltrated the Gambino crime family. You're about to hear a preview of the Jordan Harbinger Show with Jack Garcia, who did just that. My career was 24 out of 26 years was solely dedicated working on the cover. I walk in, I'm in the bar. Now there's a barmaid there, good looking young lady. She's serving me drink. Hey, what would you like? I usually, my drink was, give me a kettle, one martini, three olives, glass of water on the side. I finish the drink, the guys come in, I'm gonna go, go in my pocket, take out the big wad of money. Bam, I give her a hundred dollars. If you're with the mob, I say, hey Jordan, you're on record with us. That means we protect you. Nobody could shake you down. We could shake you down, but you're on record with us. For more on how Jack became so trusted in the highest levels of the Gambino organization, check out episode 392 of The Jordan Harbinger Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. We have given up operational control over a major portion of a major American city. <laughs> yes. Oh, this world, man. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that in a little while. You know we're not going to start off with that crap. 
It's not doing it, Chris. I can't do it. Half the time, I'm talking history just because I want to avoid the news. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's go to Japan. Japan is a fascinating place to me. I've always found it to be extremely, extremely fascinating. Every part about it. Modern, 100 years ago, 300 years ago, I just find it to be fascinating. Very, very, very different culture. Very different. I have been to couple different places in Asia, and Japan is different. It's not like everywhere else. It's certainly not like here. It's not like other Asian nations. It's different. But we are going all the way back to the year 1701 in Japan. Now, we need to do a brief little setup for you. This is what it's like there because, uh, let's be frank, what do any of us really know about 1701 Japan? Pretty much nothing. <laughs> so let's do a little setup. Japan at this time has an emperor. Kind of. When I say kind of, this is what I mean. They have an emperor. He is not as strong as later emperors would be. Now, don't get me wrong, he was still kind of thought of as a god, but didn't really have any power. I know that's difficult to wrap your mind around, but that's really what it was like. He had power, but he wasn't calling the shots. He had power, he had bodyguards, he had a fancy palace. I'm sure he had the best food, all the pretty ladies, all the things an emperor has. But the emperor was not some god king where he would just ride through the countryside and do as he pleased. No, no, no. Underneath, but kind of not underneath, the emperor was something called a shogun. Sweetest name ever. I think we can all pretty much agree. In fact, I would like to from now on be known as Jesse Shogun Kelly. You can still call me the Oracle. People can have multiple nicknames. Please call me Shogun. Yes, and Steel. Oracle, Shogun, or Steel. Any of those are fine for now. So, Jesse, Shogun, Kelly. And the Shogun underneath, but not underneath, the Emperor, was the military leader of the country. Japan was... It's very, it's a funny thing. Extremely orderly, extremely traditional, yet at the same time, always assassinations, always civil war. And really, you got to be shogun sometimes by winning one of the civil wars. They had a huge one. And you came out on top, Emperor's like, well, clearly you're the big dog, shogun. Now, you got the Emperor Shogun thing out of the way. You don't have to memorize those. It's not a story about those, even though this is a sweet story. Underneath them were daimyos, warlords. There were 300 of them in Japan. 
they ruled their own area. To make it easier for you, and because I don't really care about official names, I care about everybody kind of understanding what's happening, just consider them 300 states. 300 dudes in charge of those states. Now you need to get this. When I say in charge, I mean in charge. The Danyo ruled his state and did anything he wanted to it. He was not some elected official. He was not a governor. He was not even, you know, well, I mean, he's kind of in charge. But if we're unhappy with the taxation system, we can go above his head. No. Your Danyo in charge of you rules over you and does whatever he wants to you. And as you can imagine, there were different Danyos. And boy, you want to talk about luck of the draw. There were many, many, many people who lived under wonderful ones who believed in treating their people well and taking care of everyone and discipline and honor and things like that. And there were several who were just, I mean, do the math. What could somebody do if he was basically a god king over a state? How many stories have we told about that? That the horrible things men are capable of. Especially when they're put in charge with total power over, over other men. That's just a recipe for disaster all the time. Which brings us to where we are now. Now you're briefly set up. Oh, and I should mention... Because it will be critical to our story. Samurai. You know what a samurai is. Undoubtedly, you've seen enough movies. You know what a samurai is. Understand. They were not just tough guys wearing swords with armor on. To be a samurai, which that was about 10%. Now, we like to view Japan as well. It was a bunch of pretty hot Asian chicks and samurais, and there was nobody else. No, it was a big society like any other big society. They had merchants and traders and teachers and hookers and, and everything else a society does from the top to the bottom. You understand what I mean? Like any other society. But about 10% were samurai. A samurai calls the shots. A samurai is not not somebody who just walks around with a sword on. In fact, during your training for samurai, you were not allowed to walk around with it. Actually, walked around with two swords on, a short one and a long one. You were not allowed to walk around with them unless you were a samurai. And once you became a samurai, you were not allowed to walk around without them. You were required to have them on. This was not just sword fighting. It was a way of life to them. You could easily, if you looked at everything it entailed, call it a religion. It, is, it governed everything in their lives. It was rigid discipline, extensive physical training, and not just with a sword, You would not want to be trapped in a room alone with a samurai today, weapons or no weapons. These people were always fighting, wrestling, becoming more and more, I mean, tough. That's what they were. These people had a severe way of looking at the world. When I say severe, 
I mean, honor is everything to them. When I say honor, I don't mean just, you know, don't insult my wife. I mean, tiny things can lead to open combat. The way you die is everything to them, and death is in no way something you were taught to dread as a samurai. You were taught to embrace it. Just make sure you die the right way. Fast forward to that story I told you a long time ago, that famous story about Hiro Inoda. I'm getting a sign that we're going to break, so you're going to have to hang on a second here about Hiro Inoda. <laughs> hang on. Jesse Kelly show. Do you let your kids go play in traffic in a busy highway? Probably not, right? It's probably not something you do because you care about them. You protect your children, don't you? Then why do you let them get on the internet in your house without ExpressVPN? That's essentially the internet version of letting them play in traffic. They are exposed online unless you have ExpressVPN, which keeps you anonymous and protected. ExpressVPN protects 100% of your data every single time you get on the internet in your home. And if you don't have it, there are bad people out there who can see what you're doing, what your children are doing. Start protecting your family. Go to expressvpn.com slash jesse. That's expressvpn.com slash jesse. Go there. Get it now. Hiro Inoda, this is not a story about World War II or any of that other stuff, but Hiro Inoda, just to give you some kind of an indication how how honor worked back then, Hiro Inoda was a Japanese soldier during World War II. He went into the Philippines. He was told by his commander there was there was a time in the in World War II where the Japanese were really losing and they knew they were losing, and they would turn units loose, essentially. They were told here, here's your island, make life a living hell for people who live here, kill as many people as you can, sabotage as many people as you can. Kind of sweet, right? But just go. That's We don't have time to monitor you or feed you. You're, have a good one. And he's left there in, I, don't quote me on this, I think 1944, they leave him and other people on the Philippines. He doesn't come out until the 70s, until the 1970s. He has been killing Filipino people for 30 years. He still thinks the war is going on. They would Relatives would come see him, but he wouldn't come out because he was only allowed to be relieved by his commander. 
they would leave him stacks of newspapers and he'd think they were all forged. Like, what? no, Japan didn't surrender. Under, since the 70s. In the 70s, he came out. They finally had to yank his former commander, who was uh, just a normal, like, Japanese merchant of some kind. They had to pull him out of his daily job and fly him to the Philippines so he could officially relieve Anoda so he would stop killing people in the Filipino jungle. <laughs> but the most amazing part of that story is, well, it's not most amazing, this, was, this is back to what I was talking about. He told the story after, and this was common practice, his own mother. Pause for a moment and think about your mother, okay? How much does your mother love you? Your mother loves you in a unique way, doesn't she? I mean, Lord willing, your father loves you too, but a mother's love is unique. what, What happens? Who comes running to pick you up when you fall off your bike and a kid and skin up your knee? Mom. Dad does the thing I do. Get up. Brush it off. You're fine. Mom is the one who heals your little boo-boos. Mom runs you. Mom mom loves you different. Hiro Inoto's mother handed him a knife when he left for combat and told him to make sure he kills himself before he gets captured. That is samurai. Now, obviously, he wasn't a samurai, but they took so much of that era in Japan, they were taking the teachings of the samurai. Honor was everything to them, including how you die. Which brings us to a nice little ceremony happening for the emperor. There's a man there. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to bore you with names and I'm definitely not going to pronounce the whole name because I can't pronounce it. And I'm not going to make your eyes glaze there, but I'm going to give you three names this entire time. Okay. This is the first one. His name is Kira. Kira is there. A man named Oishi is there. Now, Oishi is in charge of his own little kingdom. He has a bunch of samurai underneath him. Oishi's, you know, he's one of those dudes. Kira is there, and he is teaching Oishi about the things he has to do, the specific things he has to do for an upcoming ceremony. Understand? Do this, do that. Make sure you have these people stand here. Oishi, are you listening? Oishi, make sure you're this. Oishi, make sure you're dressed like that. Make sure they're doing this. And ceremony is important to these people. And they're in the emperor's palace. So be on your best behavior. Hira, by all accounts, is a huge jerk. And I mean a huge jerk. Terribly thought of. There are several different plays and things written about him. And in all of them, he's made out to be a bad human being. Nevertheless, he's calling the shots on this day. Oishi do this. Oishi do that. Talking down to Oishi extensively, which that alone is a good way to get yourself killed if you're talking to somebody like that in Japan. However, there is no violence allowed at all in the emperor's palace. And not when I say not allowed, this is Japan, Jack, in 1701. You're going to die. Be on your best behavior. 
Kira pushes it a little too far. Forces Oishi to retie his sandals. I don't understand exactly how their footwear worked. It was half sock, half sandal. I'm not going to pretend to be some expert on it, but you know the drill. Hey, producer Chris, come over here and tie my shoes. Is there anything more disrespectful than that? You might as well, I might as well spit in his face, right? Now, how do you think a samurai would react to come tie my shoes now? Eh, probably going to be a problem. It certainly was a problem for Oishi, who pulls out his blade and tries to cut off Kira's head. <laughs> now, Kira happens to be wearing some sort of headgear with metal on it, which saved his life, so it deflects the blade, but it slices open Kira's forehead. Blood is pouring out. Kira has now been assaulted by a man with the blade in the castle, and Kira has a decision to make. We don't know why. We don't know what's in a man's heart whether it was from cowardice or whether he just wanted to follow the rules of the emperor. But Kira turns around and runs away. Now we need to take a quick side note here. In the samurai code, in the way the samurai live, whether you can say that was an assassination attempt a cheap shot, however you and I would classify what Oishi tried to do to Kira, according to the samurai, no matter what he tried to do, that was a formal challenge to a fight. As a samurai, you are required to turn around and fight. Required by law. It doesn't matter that's against what the emperor says. Again, remember, the emperor is a funny thing. I don't care what the emperor says. I don't care that it's against the law. I don't care they're going to pull your fingernails out and rip your head off. You are required by law, according to the samurai code, to turn and fight. You do not turn and fight. You've dishonored everybody. Me, you, everybody. You've dishonored all of them. That is going to come into play here in our story big time. Now, Kira takes off. Palace guard comes and stops Oishi because he just broke the emperor's law. That's a very, very, very big deal. Oishi is, again, 1701 Japan. We don't really do misdemeanors. Oishi is sentenced to death. Which brings us to a little bit of a gruesome part. Cover your ears, kiddos. We have to describe what exactly is seppuku. Seppuku may be something you've seen in the movies. I think they did it fairly accurately in the movie The Last Samurai, if I remember right, but you need to understand this is what it is. You will take down your robe from the waist up, so you're naked from the waist up. You will get down in a kneeling position. You will bunch up your robe behind you because it is considered disgraceful if you fall backwards when you die. You are supposed to fall forward. Now it gets a little ugly. Hang on. 
You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org slash Shiro. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Seppuku. Remember, you're on your knees, you're disrobed from the top down to your waist. It is bunched up behind you so you don't fall backwards, and you have to take your knife, and you have to stab it into your guts, and I think I need to clarify something really, really quickly. I know you're not going to find this surprising, but your guts are extremely sensitive with nerve endings everywhere. It is widely known one of the worst places you can get shot in combat is your gut because there are so many nerve endings there. One, two, it's so full of the different acids and things your body uses to to break down food that not only are you slicing open cuts, sorry, this is gross, not only are you slicing open cuts, you're slicing open acid, which is leaking into those cuts instantly. It's just agonizing. Any stomach wound is supposed to be agonizing. I mean, I had an appendectomy once, an emergency appendectomy once. I'm sure many of you have as well. I'm telling you what. It was a little difficult to walk. If the wife wasn't watching, I might have just curled up in a ball and cried. It's tough. So, seppuku, you slip the knife into your guts, not into your heart, into your guts, and you carve that knife across your guts horizontally. You don't just slip it in there. You stab and then slice all the way across, you then, I'm not making this up, I'm sorry, this is what they did, you then turn the knife in your guts. Do you know how vicious that is? That part alone? Just being stabbed is bad enough. Stabbed and slice twice as bad. Turning it? So it's no longer slicing, it's slice tearing is, it would be, it would be a form of torture in any other, any other scenario. You would do that to torture somebody. 
but you slice it clear across your guts, you turn it, then you cut up. Oh, and did I mention, remember the honor thing? Remember how important that is? You're supposed to do this without, let alone crying out. Oh, there's no crying out. You're not supposed to show any pain on your face. Stoic. No look. You get one of your friends, not an enemy, a friend, either a man who served underneath you, somebody like that. You have a friend standing there with his samurai sword raised in the air in case you do show any pain. He will bring the sword down to cut off your head so you don't make a sound and dishonor yourself. He's doing that as a favor to you. Your buddy does it. Hey, man, I'm going to carve out my guts. I know we've been close a long time. Would you mind cutting off my head? When I said different, I meant different. And this wasn't something that happened You know, it happened a couple times. This was a way of life for samurai in Japan. This was a way of life. And it could happen to you for things you couldn't even control. You see, a samurai was there to guard his master, guard his danyo. Let's say your danyo's out one day, tells you, hey, Jerry. Stay back here. Go fishing with the kids. I know you've been missing your son. Go fishing with the kids. I'm going to grab these couple dudes, and I'm going to head out. We're going to go walk through the woods in our sandals and stuff. And he gets ambushed by 50 dudes and dies. You're supposed to kill yourself. Your Donio died, and you didn't protect him. Doesn't matter. Wasn't your fault. Doesn't, does not matter. Big deal, right? Oishi, the man who attacked Kira in that castle, Sentenced to death by seppuku. And realize this, that was considered an honorable way to let him die. That was not dishonor. They could have dishonored him by killing him themselves. It was honorable to let him do it. Perform the ceremony, do it. Slices open his own guts. Actually starts to show pain, as you can imagine, So he extends his own neck out so his friend will cut his head off before he can make a sound. Slice, head rolled off, dead. Now we have an issue. What happens to Oishi's samurai? To the men underneath him? They can kill themselves. Absolutely. In fact, many people would say it's the honorable thing to do, but here's the issue for them. Oh, what about our master's honor? Our master has been dishonored by the fact that Kira turned around and ran like a little girl instead of fighting. In order for us to have any honor, Kira has to die. He has to die, period. Well, Kira's not an idiot. Kira is aware of this dynamic. So Kira takes off 
His father-in-law was a hugely powerful dude, and Kira goes and hides in his father-in-law's castle. I wouldn't want a bunch of mad samurai at me either. I'm going to go hang out in the castle, and these samurai have to decide what they're going to do with their life. Now, not all samurai killed themselves when their master died. Some became what they call ronin, R-O-N-I-N. Great Great spy movie. Underrated spy movie, by the way, if you've never seen it. Yes, it's got Robert De Niro. He's a crazy person. But if you are, if you have a thing for spy flicks at all, highly recommend the movie Ronan. And Ronan really just meant wanderer, meaning you're a highly trained samurai. You've chosen not to kill yourself, which would have been the honorable thing to do. Um, what else are you going to do with yourself? Here you are, this stud with the sword and everything else. So they would either become bandits or become mercenaries. It never hurts to have a couple samurai doing some work for you, right? And these samurai have to decide what they're going to do. Now, the final name I'm going to give you, you know, Kira, you know, Oishi who killed himself. Aisano. Maybe saying that wrong, that's how I'm saying it. Isano. He decides we cannot let this go. So he has a meeting in a grove. Him and 46 other samurai have a meeting. And they decide we need our honor back. How do we get our honor back? We have to kill Kira. We can't kill Kira right now. What do we do? So they put their heads together and they figure out they're going to do one of the most massive deep cover operations ever. They're being followed, virtually all of them, by Kira's men because Kira is clearly concerned about the samurai who were under Oishi. He knows they're probably a little salty about it. And so Kira's having them all followed to make sure they're not plotting against him. So here's what the 47 Ronin decide to do. They're going to make it look like they virtually disappeared or laid down their swords for other professions. They're going to become carpenters, merchants. Some of them, including Isano, the leader, He's going to flat out become a drunk, a public drunk. Hang on. I've got an animal inside of me. This is Jesse Kelly. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. I love going to bed now. Now, let's let's be fair. I've always loved going to bed. I've always loved taking a nap or trying to. But now, because of Ebb's sleep, I know I'm going to sleep. And I will tell you, this will be this will be music to the ears of people who don't sleep. You know what it's like when you're going to bed and you're worried you're not going to sleep. I can't tell you what a better life it is to be walking into my bedroom to go to sleep at night and knowing I'm about to knock out, and I'm about to wake up and feel refreshed. That's what Ebb Sleep can do for you. It's a wearable device. You put it on your head. It applies precise, continuous cooling to your forehead, putting you asleep faster and keeping you asleep 
by calming your thoughts. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Enter the code jesse at checkout. Get yourself 25 bucks off. The 47 Ronin know they have to bide their time, know they're being watched. They know Kira is watching out for them, so they go deep cover, and their leader, Isano, goes deep cover as the town drunk. That part of this is fascinating. Now, the other parts are really fascinating, too. The other guys... They go deep cover as servants and carpenters in Kira's mansion. They work their way into Kira's mansion, and they begin a year-long scouting mission. Who will actually fight for Kira? Who will not? What are the exits? How do we get in? How do we get out? A year-long spy op. I told you this was the coolest thing ever. But Isano is the one that really fascinates me because to make yourself the town drunk so they'll stop stop suspecting you, it would be, gosh, it would be, it would be like me going to WNBA games. (laughs) Quit. No, but in all seriousness, remember honor. I'm not saying Samurai didn't drink. I'm sure they enjoyed a sake every now and then. Um. You don't you don't get drunk publicly as a samurai. You would never even consider it. You'd get tossed out immediately. Shoot by all intents and purposes, the guy should have killed himself by now. Now not only has he not killed himself, now he's the town drunk. They would drink publicly and make themselves look like degenerates. They would publicly visit the houses of ill repute. One time, Isano, as the story goes, made himself so drunk, he passed out in the middle of the road, and somebody, disgusted that he had fallen so far, spit in his face and kicked him while he was passed out. Purposely disgracing himself like that. So he would throw off the scent of Kira's men and work his way into the mansion. He goes home that day after somebody woke him up mid-morning, goes home to see his wife, who is horrified, obviously does not recognize her husband. What has happened to you? What happened to the man I married? And realize samurai honor, we didn't talk about this earlier, very much extended to the women and children. Their women were taught extensively how to fight, taught to be you know, respectful, but not, this is not, look, I don't want to act like women were, were equal to the men, but they, again, throughout history, we always act like because the women didn't do all the thing the men do, 
they were, you know, these horrible slaves. The women were not second-class citizens, honored, treasured, your wife, things like that. But samurai women were also taught, should enemy samurai ever break in, attack, to kill themselves. Avoid dishonor at all costs. So that is, it's a family affair when you do the samurai thing. It's a family affair. She walks in, or he walks in. She sees him bloodshot, spit on, drunk. She's mortified. He kicks her out of the house. Acts like he doesn't want her anymore. Has a big fight with her in the house because he actually sees the shadows of Kira's spies outside of his own house. Has a fight with his wife. Kicks her out. Trading you in for a younger model type thing. The spies take off, go back and tell Kira. Kira thinks he's safe. Only he's not safe. Now, now it's game on. Kira is safely back in his mansion. Security is relaxed. He calls the spies off of Oishi's old men. Who cares? They're a bunch of drunks anyway. The others have disappeared and goes about his daily life. Now, one night, these 47 ronin get their things together, arm up for battle. And this may be my favorite part of the story. They go around in the middle of the night, the night of the attack. They knock on all the neighbor's doors. The neighbors open up. I'm sorry, what what do you want? We are going to go kill Kira. Just wanted to give you a heads up. That commotion you're about to hear, that's what's going to happen. You are not in any danger in any way. Stay inside. It's all good. None of the neighbors warned Kira. Should tell you what kind of reputation he had. All of them went back inside, closed the doors. Now it's game on. They knew the best way in. They tried to get in the front door and the back door at the same time. Could not get in the front door because the guard who had normally had the key didn't have the key that night. But they bust through the back. Hang on. They bust in the back door, and it's snowing. Isn't that a scene like out of the movies? It's snowing in some Japanese castle in 1700s, early 1700s. They bust in the back door, and immediately 10 of them grappling hook their way up to the roof. Why did they do that? They were the ones with bows and arrows. You see, as soon as they bust in the back door, Kira starts sending out his samurai, only they're groggy. It's a surprise attack, and the assassins are ready to go. They start slaughtering Kira's samurai. Kira freaks, as you would, starts sending messengers. 
Hey, father-in-law, come help. Only the messengers never get to their destination because the 10 people who scampered up to the roof, they're filling them with arrows before they can get there. Taking out anybody who cries for help. They fight their way through the castle, fight their way into Kira's bedroom, and they can't find him. He's gone. But one of the men notices something. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. One of his men noticed something. One of Isano's men noticed something and they couldn't find him. What he noticed was this. Um, the bed's still warm. We can't find him, but the bed is still warm. Hmm. They find a hole cut in the wall. They, they crawl through the hole The hole eventually leads to a courtyard where there's an outhouse. Apparently, it's a big one because there are multiple people in the outhouse. They throw open the door. The few remaining samurai Kira had left come charging out. They're sliced to bits immediately. And there's Kira. Isano, the leader of the 47 Ronin, drags Kira out, hands Kira a knife, out of respect, and they say, kill yourself. They are allowing him to perform seppuku on himself. Again, honorable. He can't do it. He sits there weeping, whimpering. They slice off his head. They then take the head And they leave the castle. But before they leave the castle, they put all the fires out in the castle. All the candles burning and such. Why would they do such a thing? Because they didn't want the castle to catch fire and then for the fire to spread and burn down the neighboring houses. They did it out of respect for the neighbors they told wouldn't be harmed. They took the head of Kira, they took it to the grave of Isano, or I'm sorry, they took it to the grave of Oishi, they cleaned the head up, a little gruesome, and placed the cleaned up head of Kira at the grave of their former master. They then went to a temple, gave all their money, To the dudes running the temple, that way they could have a proper burial. 
and they got down on their knees and they waited for the authorities to come. All 47 of them just sat there. The authorities showed up, didn't even attempt to draw a blade. In fact, they sent a messenger to go get the authorities. All of the men were sentenced to death. On February 4th, 1703, all 47 Ronin committed seppuku. They were all buried with their masters. Rules, laws, honor, these are funny things, right? Life is complicated. Here's what you have experienced and I have experienced for all of our lives as Americans. If you're an immigrant here, there's a good chance you've experienced the other half of this. But if you're an immigrant here, you experience something else. Americans, however, have experienced this. We are... A Judeo-Christian country, that's how we were founded. I'm not saying you all are, but that's what the, that's what America is. So let's say you're a Jew or a Christian in America, which, look, I see the numbers. My audience is huge, but the vast majority is that, or at least leans that way, even if you're not regularly church-going. You have lived your entire life, all of your existence, all you've ever known is... A nation whose laws, in general, whose policies, whose politicians have really, really kind of gone along with everything you believe. Even if they don't believe what you believe, you haven't been oppressed by it. You've never, ever, as an American, had to make a choice between following your God, following your own personal honor code, and following American law. And you wouldn't. Our laws were based on Judeo-Christian things. Understand this. That is not the history of the world. Many societies have worked that way. Many have not. And it's time for you, as you look around you and you survey the madness of this world, and you see leftist control of our culture in its final form, you are going to have to accept what I'm about to say. And I realize it's a bitter pill to swallow. I realize it can be tough to accept, and I am not in any way trying to bring you down or encourage you to do anything you don't feel is right, but understand this. What you know to be right, what you know to be honorable, the way you choose to live your life, the way you want your kids to live their lives— very, very, very shortly 
is about to be the opposite of what is allowed in our society. And you are going to have to make your peace now, not before, not when the day comes. Now, you are going to have to make your peace with how you approach that, with what you're going to do in that moment. Look around you. They own everything. Yeah, we have Donald Trump. Yes, the, D, the GOP, useless as it is, owns the Senate. They own everything in our society. That would be like in, in Japan that we just described, us owning the relatively powerless emperor and them owning all 300 danyos and the shogun. They have it all. You are not the silent majority. You are not the real power base in America. You aren't. I'm not. You and I, we are officially the outsiders. I don't care how many people sell you I'm oppressed. You and I are the minorities. You and I are the outsiders completely devoid of any cultural power. What power do you have? Over 90% of the televised media, theirs. Over 90% of the federal government, theirs. The entire U.S. education system, theirs. The entire entertainment system, theirs. The House of Representatives, theirs. They have operational control of every major U.S. city. Start accepting the reality of life now in America and start making plans. Because I promise you this, the next 20, 30 years of your life are going to look different than the last 20 or 30. Suck it up. We got to keep going. You are not you when you are not sleeping. And I am not pointing fingers at you. I know what that's like. I hope you're not as bad as me, but I suspect you are on nights where I don't sleep. I wake up in a bad mood, and my mood gets progressively worse throughout the day. And to be honest, if I have to put too fine a point on it here, I'm stupid. My mind doesn't work right. I can't even get words from my mind to my mouth properly. It's awful. You don't have to live like that anymore. You can get an ebb sleep and go back to being razor sharp all the time. I did. It works. It's clinically working. It's calming those thoughts that race through your head using the cooling on your forehead. Go to tryeb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Enter the code jesse at checkout for 25 bucks off. Jesse Kelly returns next.
It's me, Jesse Shogun Kelly. What, Chris? That is a sweet name. <laughs> Shogun. I've, we can break it all down, and we will. But, I mean, Cops. The show Cops. You know, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? It's been on TV for what seems like the entirety of my life. 31 years, almost 31 years. Paramount Network canceled the show Cops? What? Canceled the show Cops? Paw Patrol. It's a cartoon about cartoon pet cops. Paw Patrol stopped making shows. Live PD, probably the most popular modern show out there, canceled. Do you see what's happening in front of you? The entire corporate world is now joined the leftists. The entire corporate world. Merriam-Webster. Yes, the dictionary place. Do you think it's creepy if somebody's able to control the meaning of words? Merriam-Webster dictionary will be updating its definition of the word racism after a complaint from one Missouri woman. Do you think it's creepy they control the definition of words. Do you think it is? You should. They control America's corporations. They control the education system. They control the media. They control it all. And what's what's the most amazing thing about it? They act like they're the victims. All these leftist groups always sell it as I'm the victim of something. But I guess I shouldn't actually call it amazing. That's how it's sold. I hate to tie this back to Nazi Germany because people do that way too often and they have no idea what they're talking about. But it is a good time to bring up. Remember this. You and I have talked about this. We don't do do just dullard history here. Hitler didn't sell hatred of the Jews as the Jews were these inferior people. That wasn't the selling point. I mean, that was part of it. The selling selling point was they're the people in charge. They're the people controlling it. We're the victims. The Jews, those are the people in charge. Don't you want to take the power back from these Jews oppressing you? It's always sold that way. We're not we're not the tyrants. We're not we're not in charge. We're the oppressed. We're the oppressed. We well, I mean t- Yes, we're tearing down your Christopher Columbus statues with no police interference. That's because we're so oppressed. Wait, what? Well, yes, we've seized control 
of several blocks in Seattle. Well, that's because we're oppressed. Yes, we can get you fired instantly. If you're guilty of wrong think like that, we'll have you fired. Well, that's because we're the oppressed. Oppressed, oppressed, oppressed. We're the victim here. Pause for a moment and consider how much power the victims have in America now. I'm looking around, and I see all of it. Drew Brees, you remember last week, Drew Brees stood up and said, I like the American flag. I like the anthem. I have uh, two grandfathers, both fought in World War II. It means a lot to me. That was all he said. There was no white, black, left, right. There was no politics. There was a, it was the most benign, I love America statement in the world. Has since issued not one, but multiple public apologies for his pro-America statement. And his wife issued one too. It's time to start acknowledging who really runs things around here. And it ain't you. And it ain't me. It's time. It's time to start acknowledging who's getting on their knees and who's doing the shouting at the people on their knees. That's a really weird oppressed-oppressor relationship, wouldn't you say? And it's time to acknowledge that you and I are going to start having to approach this life differently than we've had to approach it before. Because this isn't, I hate to burst all your bubbles today, this isn't going to stay in the cities. It's not staying in the cities. This is coming to the burbs. And the reason it's coming to the burbs is they got the education system and Republicans aren't doing anything about it. Nothing. What have we seen from Republicans in response to the last two weeks? Oh, don't get me wrong. We've got some tweets with Trump saying, law and order. Beyond a tweet screaming law and order in all capital letters, have you seen anything? Oh, we, we have cops under attack all over the country. We just had another assassination of a cop. We They're even canceling the TV show's cops. Any positive representation of cops is being canceled. We have New York police officers retiring in droves. They will not be the last city to face this problem. Society has decided cops are the problem. And what's the GOP response? A federal anti-cop bill. They're in the suburbs because there isn't really an opposition party. We like to think there is. What's that great Michael Malice line? Malice is on every Monday. Conservatism is socialism driving the speed limit. It's 100% right. We don't get anybody who stands up. Here's my proposal to all these riots. I propose we cut every single dime of government funding to the university system. There's my proposal. Not 
One Republican in America has made that proposal. Not one. We know for a fact what's happening at a university level. Not one Republican has stood up and said it. Wrap your mind around that. We know the problem. Not one Republican has said it. Does that shock you? It shouldn't shock you if you just accept where we are. It shouldn't. We are in deep, deep trouble in this country. But because we're not going to be down, we're going to acknowledge where we are, and we're going to accept a new reality because isn't that life? Things change. Circumstances change. It's time to start conducting ourselves in different ways. It's time to start, I am very sorry to say it, it's time for you to consider running for office. Not your neighbor. Not the, well, the guy with more time is hand, on his hands up the road. You. Start doing something. Paramount Tax Relief. Listen to me. You don't have to panic if you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS. However, you also can't ignore it. I promise you, they are not going to lose your phone number, your name, your address, your social security number. It's the federal government. And have you seen the deficits they're running? Do you think they're just going to forget about the people who owe them money? Get a professional and start fighting this fight. That's Paramount Tax Relief. There's a chance you even qualify for the new CNC tax program. If you do, it'll actually allow you to stop making any payments to the IRS while you're in the program. Yes, that's the kind of thing Paramount Tax Relief can do for you, but you need to call and find out if you even qualify. Get some help. 800-816-8749. 800-816-8749. Paramount Tax Relief. There's enough ugliness out there. So you've heard enough of Jesse's Shogun Kelly today. Allow us to go to what, Chris? It's a good nickname. Allow us to go to Selena Zito, who writes for every publication in the United States of America, <laughs> author of one of the best books I've ever read on the, called The Great Revolt. What's well, The Great Revolt, right? The Great Revolt. Yeah. Um, writes for the Washington Examiner. Selena, what, where can people find your work? All the places. I want you to list them. Oh, you're so awesome. So if you want to catch my, I work for the Examiner, the New York Post, and um, I also write for the Wall Street Journal. But I would love it if you all went to selenazito.com, S-A-L-E-N-A-Z-I-T-O. You can catch all my work. Um, but you can also sign up for my emails, which are free, and they're fun, and they're not fattening. Oh, I like that. Well, I actually prefer like fattening. I prefer fattening <laughs> than I'm signing up anyway. <laughs> so, Selena, uh, when you order a pizza, I have found through my 38 years of existence that no matter what, 
if I say extra cheese and I get charged for extra cheese, I do not get extra cheese. There is not a market improvement in the amount of cheese I get on my pizza. Why? <laughs> you um, Well, first of all, um, I rarely order pizza because I make my own uh, and because I'm Italian. Hold up, but hold second up, of hold all, up. there is... Selena Zito's homemade pizza, break it down. <laughs> there is so much cheese on my pizza. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm a purist. I just like it, you know, the dough um, and the sauce. And What uh, sauce? Is this, ho- is this homemade sauce? It's homemade sauce. Uh, pizza sauce tends to be a little sweeter. Uh, the, the sweetness uh, brings out the flavor of the cheese and, and the tomatoes and the bread. It's it, if you do it right, it's perfection. What uh, temperature there is, there do you cook a, your pizza? I, I I don't ever gauge the temperature. Am I am I now a failure? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I I have a pizza oven in my backyard that 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 that, that I course. that I use cherry wood to of to course. make it and. <laughs> of course you do. No, of course that's the least surprising thing I've ever heard. Is it really really hot? Can you is it hot or is it low? Um, it's 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 hot. Yeah. Okay. For sure. All right. Well, that's the good news, people. <laughs> Selena, there's not much else good news out there. What is the word from the back roads you travel? Well, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, uh, if you if you ever followed my work before, uh, I don't fly. Most people don't right now anyways, but I don't take interstates, and I always use the back roads. It helps me gauge and understand what's really going on in in small and large towns um, and trying to uh, – if you use a highway, you tend to just breeze right past it, and you miss and understand what's going right and what's going wrong. Uh, you know, I have found in my latest reporting that people are really just turned off to national news, they you know they were they were already you know sort of leading to that decision, uh, but they have found that the exploitation of everything that is bad uh, that is happening is is all that they're forced fed, and to be honest, it's impacting their 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 mental outlook about themselves and about their communities. Uh, you know, I took the step this week, which stunned a lot of people. And deactivated my Twitter account. I I was on Twitter for 12 years. Uh, I have really enjoyed it for the most part up until the past couple of years. And I found that as a reporter and just as a human being, as a mother and a grandmother, uh, that it did not reflect uh, what I saw was happening in the country. In particular, the interaction between uh, the, um, the the journalist crowd. What do you mean and it didn't I reflect? Didn't how how did it not reflect? Uh, people are a lot less angry and a lot less judgmental uh, about each other and about people that are different than them uh, than than you see on on social media. And and it it almost appeared to me as though there was this forced. Uh, this forced effort to strike division uh, between us, and and that's an old political ploy. But 
when you see it done consistently and all of the time, it, it can't be good for your mental health. I will commend you, Jesse. Um, you, you anticipated this um, at the beginning of the coronavirus. I know this is going to make you so insufferable. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, Please keep uh, going. You, anticip- you, <laughs> you anticipated uh, this happening in, um, way back at the end of February. And you kept saying this was going to be an, this was going to be used as an opportunity, and uh, and and this was just going to make things worse and cause a deeper, harder, harsher undercurrent within society. And two months later, we're watching it before our very eyes. How does this unfold in you know the great crystal ball of Selena Zito? How does this unfold in November? I'll be honest, Selena. I don't necessarily think Donald Trump is a shoe in by any stretch of the imagination. And I would have said he was obviously three months ago. I think that reelection is on shaky, shaky ground at this point. Um, I don't disagree with you. Uh, both candidates uh, have have. Weak, weak spots, spots, you know, Trump's biggest weak spot is um, his own character. He tends to uh, like, he tends to not to have the ability in the moment where he can um, do a lap around whatever issue that is either driving the news or driving sentiment to, <laughs> to take the opposite approach and, and, and put himself in a hole. Uh, there and and you have seen it in the past few weeks, and so and and Biden's problem is is um you know he's in his basement. That's also his probably best attribute that he can just sort of sit there and not do anything. He's really put himself in a comfortable position of not having to answer to the press, of not having to answer to uh, what's going on, uh, with with the exception of putting out neat little um, videos uh, that that can make him seem at least not erratic as the president has a propensity in doing. Have you even heard any concerns about coronavirus in the past week or two? No. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, I mean, maybe it's where I live. It was you know, we in Western Pennsylvania, we did not get the, uh, with the exception of nursing homes, we did not get a large uh, outbreak in the way that other, you know, maybe larger cities uh, did. And you know, <laughs> Western Pennsylvania, you're you're from not far from here. Uh, oh, we we tend to have a, a little bit of a rebellion in us. Uh, we maybe it's because we're the ancestors of um, uh, people who participated in the Whiskey Rebellion, mm-hmm. but we tend to not have a large faith in government and tend to be incredibly skeptical uh, towards government, in particular state the state government in this instance. Selena, I don't see racial division in my daily life. I understand there's certainly racism in the, in America because there always has been, always will be in every nation in the history of the world. That's just is something that exists in the hearts of man. Do you see it out where you are? We only got about 30 seconds. No, I do not. Uh, I, I see a society that, and, and I have conversations with this all the time with people across different races. 
uh, in our daily lives, uh, in, in how we conduct business and how we consume business. We don't see that, but we see companies and places trying to force that. Outstanding. SelenaZito.com. Go there. Sign up for her emails. We will obviously have her back. Be good, Selena. Thanks, buddy. Take good care. Take care. Boom. Jesse Shogun Kelly. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. You don't leave your doors swinging wide open at night, do you? I mean, I'm assuming you don't. Why don't don't you? Wouldn't a nice breeze be nice blowing through the house? Well, because it's not secure. When you get online, it's like leaving that door swinging wide open unless you have ExpressVPN. I am trying to get this through to you. Bad people out there exist online now. Really bad people prowling in search of a way they can get your information, your kids' information, so they can exploit it for their own gain in some way. And you are wide open and exposed unless you have ExpressVPN. If you have ExpressVPN, you have 100% of your data encrypted. Your IP address, anonymous. Yes, it's that simple. Go to expressvpn.com slash jesse. That's expressvpn.com slash jesse. Go protect yourself. Chris, I believe I already know the answer to this without even asking, but if you owned a home, which I'm sure you do not, but if you did, would you mow your own grass? Would you mow your own grass? All right, how big is the yard? That's actually a that's a that's a significant question. What's the best way I can put this? It's not a, you're not sitting on two acres. You know, you're not a Texas Grand Ranch, but. It's not minuscule. It's not the size of a bedroom either. You have a decent, let's call it, let's go, you know what? Let's call it 50 by 50 is your yard. That's your front yard. Your backyard's about that, maybe a little bigger. Are you mowing and weed eating your own yard? Answer the question, Chris. It's tough, right? It's tough. And here's the reason it's tough. Because the opportunity cost of mowing your yard is not there. It is now so cheap to have your yard mowed by a professional who's just mowing all the yards in the neighborhood, whether it be a neighbor neighbor kid or the regular landscaper, or whatever. It's so cheap to have it done. I don't mow my own yard anymore. I would rather take that hour or two hours. I'll work on the show for the next day. It's 30 bucks. It's 30 bucks. So once every three weeks, I have to pay $30. I've not made a money, but I can afford 30, but that's totally worth it for me. Totally worth it for me. That said, two things on it. I grew up mowing the yard and I grew up in that kind of family where there was no riding mower either. There's the push mower. There's the acre. Have a good time with Hills in Montana. And my dad thought that was hilarious, which in hindsight, it was pretty funny. So my boys are getting older. 
They're 9 and 11. So they're not quite there yet because I'm worried they're going to chop their feet off. What do you do when they get old enough? I want them learning the value of hard work. I want them, they already do chores around the house. It's not like we just let them sit around. They do stuff and they're great kids. Do I have them mow the lawn and screw it up or do I just keep having it done? We do have garden beds. That's a significant question, Chris, but they're low-maintenance garden garden beds. There's virtually nothing to do in them. They need a spring cleanup and a fall cleanup. That's about it. They don't need anything more than that. No, they really don't have weeds. We have like this stuff. I mean, they'll, they'll, we'll get one pop-up now and then. It's not a significant enough job to think, well, we'll just have them weed eat that or just have them pull the weeds out. I don't know what to do about it. Oh, Little story about this. Tell me this isn't sweet, Chris. We had we had this we moved we lived in 10 houses in 10 years in Montana. Okay. And again, I was in charge of I always had to mow the lawn. This one house we had a front deck. Certainly no extravagant house by any stretch of the imagination, but we had a front deck on it, front porch. And then it sloped down, which made it a disaster to mow. And I would say probably 300 feet away was the end of it, maybe 400 feet away. Yeah, it was it was significant, Chris. It was not a tiny yard. But we developed, because it's Montana, we developed a prairie dog problem. Prairie dogs are gophers. You, you may call them. People call them different things. I actually think those are two different things. I don't know what they were. I'm pretty sure they're prairie dogs up there. They're a huge problem in Montana. Remember I told you Montana was wild? Well, there are ranchers everywhere, and they hate those freaking prairie dogs, always tearing up their stuff, creating big holes. Their animals will will step in the holes, break their legs. You got to put them down. It's a big problem. As a kid, we would take our little, you know, 22 long rifles, just little, little things, nothing more fun in the world, and you would go around and you would... Knock on the door. You just drive right up to these ranchers' homes, driving around you and your buddy in a pickup truck, and ask for permission. Hey, we we noticed you got a bunch of prairie dogs out here. Would you mind if we pulled in and killed them? You always ask permission. You know, that's a good way to get shot in Montana if you don't ask permission. Not only would they almost always give you permission, they would hand you 22 shells. They would hand you boxes of shells. That's how it was a big deal. Like you're performing a service. You're having fun killing prairie dogs. They're handing you shells for it. This is just something we always did. Well, back to this house in the sloping yard, I'm in a neighborhood. Now, the houses aren't butted right up next to each other, but there's a neighborhood, so you can't shoot 22s. But I had a pellet gun. And we used to, and it was a blast, we used to sit on the front porch with the pellet gun and plink these prairie dogs because we wanted them out of the yard. They tear your yard to bits. Well, one day I got this harebrained idea that I was going to finish off the prairie dogs. And Dad wasn't there and a young... Young teenage boy, I think I was 12, 13 years old. What, Chris? A young teenage boy decides he's going to eradicate prairie dogs. I got to thinking to myself, well, we've got a garden hose, right? What, Chris? It's not a bad idea. We have a garden hose. This is pre-internet age. I mean, I think the internet existed slightly like it was just coming around. It was that it was that dial-up stuff. We certainly didn't have it in our house. It was a different age. And I got to thinking, I bet you I know what I can do. I bet because the prairie dog holes connect. Like there's not one entrance and exit. You there's one way in and there's one way out in general. 
So, oh crap, it's break time. Hang on. I will say this in my defense of the garden hose plan. It was working effectively. You stick the garden hose in the hole, you turn on the water and you have to wait. Now you have to wait for a significant amount of time, depending on how intricate the tunnels underneath the ground are stuck. The garden hose in one end, You wait until you see them start to emerge from one of the holes as they escape the water down below, right? I do this once. I wait. Now, in my defense, it took like 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. But I'm waiting, and I'm down there where all the holes are, and I've got my pellet gun in hand, and I'm ready to rock and ruin when these little suckers pop out. They start to pop out. Plink, plink, plink. I'm dusting them. I'm piling up dead bodies at the end of this hole. Boom. Mission accomplished. The water's now coming out the other end. I can see it. We're done. It's not the only hole, though. I removed the hose from that hole, placed the hose in another hole. Hang on. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Stick the hose in the second hole. And then I got distracted. I forget exactly what chore I had forgotten to do inside. I left the hose in the hole on, went trudging back up to the house with full intention of coming right back. Remind, remember. And remember how the last one took like 20, 30 minutes. That's important to the story. I get a little distracted inside. Get a little hungry. Sit down, make myself an egg sandwich, some chips. Shut up, Chris. Egg sandwiches are great. At one point... It occurs to me, oh, crap, the hose. Now, it's been about 45 minutes at this point. 
I look out the window, and oh, did I mention it's after 5 o'clock, which means Dad is on his way home, probably, unless the construction job was going late tonight. I look out, and remember, it slopes down, and the entire lower third of my yard is a pond. (laughs) Gosh. And lo and behold... I go running around the side of the house. I turn off the hose. I'm thinking, oh, crap. I'm pulling the hose back up. I get the hose balled up. My hands are obviously covered in mud. My clothes are now covered in mud because the hose itself was covered in mud because it was laying in the middle of a pond, mind you. (laughs) I get the hose pulled. Oh, by the way, to make matters worse, there's a few little prairie dogs floating dead. The ones I'd shot are floating dead on top of the water. I get the hose pulled back up. As I'm covered in mud and there's a pond in the yard. And did I mention the pond in the yard covered the driveway for a portion of it? So you couldn't drive into the home. I look up the road, and my dad's pickup truck pulls down the road, heading my way as I stand down at the edge of the pond, covered in mud. He pulls into the driveway, and he's just staring at me, which makes it so much worse. He's just staring at me, and I'm staring at him like, well, this is my last day on earth. It's been a good run. It's been a good run. Anyway, I don't know how I got distracted on that story. Headline, a man causes 40K in damage at Miller Park after trying to write his name with a tractor. Apparently, he's admitting to it. According to a criminal complaint filed with the Milwaukee County Circuit Court Tuesday, 40-year-old Keon, Keon? Keon Lambert broke into the Brewers baseball stadium, got into a tractor, which he used to tear up the turf and dig holes in in an attempt to write his name in cursive with the tractor tires. <laughs> the incident began when a security guard found Lambert yelling inside the stadium, running down the levels of seats, and at one point patting his body and saying, quote, I got a piece for you, end quote. The security guard told prosecutors that indicated to him that Lambert might be armed with a gun, according to the complaint. Field manager recounted that while Lambert was driving the tractor, he was yelling, Black Lives Matter, and quote, we're going to burn this effer down tonight, end quote, the complaint says. Lambert eventually got out of the tra- tractor, walked off the field, and left the stadium. Now, I should clarify. I do not support trespassing. I do not support vandalism, breaking and entering, crime of any kind. I understand, Chris, that I have committed crimes in the past. I do not commit very many crimes anymore. That's one. Two, the ones I do commit are relatively innocuous. So that's, we're not going to, we're not talking about me, Chris. I'm the Shogun. What? Yes, he's Shogun Kelly. So, all that said, it's kind of awesome. 
if he pulled it off. Again, the story never hits on the big parts. And the big parts are simply this. Did he pull it off? If he did pull it off, why can we not see the results? How can you have a crime like this and not see the results? What, Chris? I understand that. Chris says it's like when a streaker runs on the field. They don't turn the camera on it because they don't want to encourage said behavior. I guess I can kind of see that point. But you're telling me in the age where everything ends up online, nobody produced an illegal picture of this to see whether or not he pulled it off? And how epic would it have been had he actually pulled it off and then they had to play a game the next day or something like that there? And everybody's watching Milwaukee Brewers baseball with Keon carved into the outfield. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Gosh, that's so good. All right, let's get focused, Chris. Gosh, what's wrong with you? Well, it looks like the whole anti-cop thing is certainly going well. Homicides have increased two. 150% in Los Angeles compared to last week, the LAPD says. The increased numbers were recorded during the week of May 31st to June 6th. The past 24 hours has seen four shootings, one of those resulting in a homicide, an LAPD statement said. The other three shoot homicide occurred at 5.20 a.m., 800 block in North Vermont. A man, a victim in his 40s, died at the scene. The other three three shootings, blah, 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 blah. I don't need to give you all the details here. The important thing to know is this. Even if you're somebody who believes strongly in law enforcement reforms, maybe you're even flat-out anti-law enforcement, societies exist for a reason. Tribes exist for a reason. Cities exist for a reason. Man seeks out other man for safety. It's all about safety. That's why man seeks out other man. And so when societies get together, we've talked about a million crazy cultures throughout history on this show, and we'll continue to do so. But part of any society is coming up with a system of protecting itself from bad people in its society. A system will always exist. Whether that system be official government-funded police, whether that system is each and every man is armed, whatever that system is, it will exist. It will take one form or another. And if you all at once decide to assault and drain the resources of that system, you're going to have more death than you can possibly imagine. Because you haven't removed the animals. You just removed the cops. Look for a lot more of this in the coming days. Hang on.
feeling a little stocky? Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. I looked around last night when I got home, and we had eaten dinner, had a nice family dinner. We were killing a little time. We were going to start a movie in a little bit, and the boys asked if they could do something on their little pads, you know, their little, their, their little computer pad things. And I said, sure. And I took a moment. I looked up. The wife was doing something on her computer, her laptop. The boys were on their little pads. I had my phone in my hand, and I thought, man, that is modern society. And then I thought, how exposed would I have left everybody in my family had I not gotten ExpressVPN? Because every single time you connect to the Internet, your Internet service provider can see it. They can see everything you're doing, even with that private browser. If that doesn't creep you out, you're not paying attention. Go to expressvpn.com slash jesse and get it today. expressvpn.com slash jesse, and you actually get three months free on a one-year package. expressvpn.com slash jesse. Now, how did we get here? Let's recap this quickly. And, and understand where here is. Let's, let's just hit this one really briefly just so you understand. We have lost operational control of several blocks of Seattle. Antifa, the radical leftists, the rioters, the Black Lives Matter people have taken over. I'm not exaggerating when I say lost operational control. They're actually putting up fences. The cops are not there. They have ceded the territory to them. Okay? I I know you're not reading about this on the news. That's because it's a bunch of leftists. Um, If this was a bunch of people who were pro-life, you would have already had leftists calling for us to drop napalm on that part of the town. You know you would have. They are issuing demands. I mean, they've written down their demands. Uh, They've written down, we demand the Seattle City Council, a mayor defund and abolish the Seattle Police Department. In the transition period, we demand that no armed force, that the use of armed force be banned entirely. No guns, batons, riot shields, so on and so forth. And completely abolish youth jails. Demand reparations for the victims of police brutality. Demand the city of Seattle name uh, make names of the officers involved in public brutality a matter of public record. Demand a retrial of all people of color currently serving in prison sentences for violent crime. You, you're starting to get the idea. They've issued demands. They've locked out to say this is not happening in some third world. This is happening right now. You just haven't heard about it because the news is insane. Now, how did they get into City Hall and other, all these other places? On Tuesday evening, far-left city councilwoman Kashama Sawant and her staffers unlocked the doors of City Hall to allow radical protesters in to occupy the premises premises and demand the resignation of Democratic Mayor Jenny Durkin amid calls to defund the Seattle Police Department. A lot, quote, a large group of protesters in Seattle Council, Councilwoman Kashama Smart met inside City Hall Tuesday night during the 12th consecutive night of protests in the wake of George Floyd's death, death 
KOWO News reported Tuesday. Councilmember Sawant and her staff allowed the protesters inside the building, which is typically locked up at night. You read that right. The city councilwoman allowed them in. How do you get to a place where you have major American corporations running Black Lives Matter ad campaigns? And remember this, by the way, about Black Lives Matter, just so we're clear. When you click on the Donate button on Black Lives Matter, it actually takes you to Act Blue, a Democrat slush fund that donates to Democrats. Would you like to know who Act Blue gives to? Bernie 2020, Biden for president, Elizabeth Warren presidential campaign, Pete for America, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, so on and so forth. It's, it's just, all this is just a gigantic Democrat slush fund. Remember this. How did we get to this point? All the corporations, elected officials. Well, here are a couple headlines for you. This is how. Two different headlines. Harvard scientists indicted over Chinese recruitment program. A former top professor at Harvard has been indicted for lying to authorities about his involvement with the Chinese initiative to recruit the world's top scholars and scientists in an effort to further advance the country's technology. Did you hear what I said? Harvard scientists, the elite university in the United States of America. And headline number two. Berkeley College apologizes for allowing police to use the restrooms after protests. You heard me right. They allowed the cops to go in and take a pee. They issued a public apology for allowing that. These are one of 10,000 stories I could read you from the past couple weeks alone of American universities pushing for these protests, encouraging these protests openly, declaring themselves to be anti-cop, openly declaring themselves to be pro-communist and pro-China. How did we get to a place where America is lost? Well, the leftists took over the education system. The leftists took over the supply line. And to their credit, to their credit, some cops, at least the NYPD, they're fighting back. And they're saying, you people have gone mad thinking we're the bad guys. This isn't stained by someone in Minneapolis. It's still got a shine on it. And so did theirs. This isn't stained by someone in Minneapolis. It's still got a shine on it. And so do theirs. So do theirs. Stop treating us like animals and thugs and start treating us with some respect. That's what we're here today to say. We've been left out of the conversation. We've been vilified. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Trying to make us embarrassed of our profession. 375 million interactions, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. Nobody talks about all the police officers that were killed in the last week in the United States of America, and there were a number of them. We don't condone Minneapolis. We roundly reject what he did as disgusting 
It's disgusting. It's not what we do. It's not what police officers do. Our legislators abandoned us. The press is vilifying us. Well, you know what, guys? I'm proud to be a cop. And I'm going to continue to be proud to be a cop until the day I retire. And that's all I have to say. You have to feel for America's cops. I took my son out last night to, well, it's a bit of a long story. I might as well tell you. He is, now I'm not doing this thing where I brag on my kids. My son is a brainiac. they're, They're both smart kids. My youngest is one of those kids without really putting in a whole lot of effort. He consistently gets the highest or second highest grade in all of his grade, in his entire grade. He's just, I mean, forget honor roll. He's going for highest average every time. He's just one of those geniuses. Gets it from his dad. He's just one of those kids. And the way his mind works, I know many of you have kids like this, is he needs to know why when it comes to certain things. And what's what's great about him, though, is for a nine-year-old, if you just explain to him why, he gets it. Like he won't he won't ask you why and then buck you when you tell him why. It can even be something, you know, why do I have to take out the trash? Because I want you to learn the value of hard work because one day you're going to have a job and I want you to be a hard worker. Oh, okay. And then he'll go take out the trash. He just it's he's very understanding, very hyperlogical. He wants to know the why. He wants to know how things work. How things go together, how things are put together. He does. He will disassemble things and then reassemble them. Now, thankfully, he's old enough he can disassemble and finally reassemble because he used to just disassemble and then get lost. But he's also, I mean, it's pretty cool. You could get, you know, a chair, a a piece of equipment delivered, and he'll pull out the instructions and go through the instructions, and he'll assemble the whole freaking thing. It's just that kid. And part of that, shoot. All right, we're up against the break. Hang on. I'll finish after the guest. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived in Philadelphia. Local time is 3.05 p.m. and the temperature is 67 degrees. At this time, you are now free to use your cellular devices. You know that feeling when you get to turn your phone on after the plane lands? You can have that feeling every time you drive. Make sure your cell phone is stowed away whenever you are behind the wheel. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. 
Well, I've got one you're going to want to buy, people. Don't worry. Not going to break the bank on you. You know I don't do this a lot. But remember when I told you we're going to have to change your mentality? You know Clay Martin. We're bringing him on now. Former Marine Scout Sniper, Marine Recon, former Green Beret, and he has a new paperback version out now called Concrete Jungle, a Green Beret's Guide to Urban Survival. It's right on Amazon. Let me ask you people something. Do you think maybe you could use a Green Beret's Guide to Urban Survival right now? I'm buying it. You buy it too. Clay, first of all, where do you see that? Before we get into the, the high points of your books, I want people to read it. Where do you see this going? I, I, I honestly, even I'm shocked that they've seized operational control of several blocks of Seattle. I absolutely am too. Uh, already going into this week, I, I think we were at a point that we were without precedent for what's going on right now. It not only had the rioting gone on longer than at least any time I can remember, maybe maybe comparable to the Rodney King riots of the uh, the '90s, but this had gone on a really long time. <clears throat> well, then we shifted gears into. They were actually defunding police departments in in major cities, and and you know this was this wasn't like some fringe idea. They they were doing it, and now we follow that up with seizing a piece of an American city and declaring it no longer part of the United States. I mean, this is this is absolute madness. How did we get here so fast, Clay? I. I've really been trying to figure that out myself. In fact, I was talking to a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Nick Guy, last night, who's uh, another Green Beret Fifth Group guy. Uh, both of us seem to think that right now, the, the way that this accelerated so fast is that we underestimated what we were up against badly. This may have started as an organic protest movement, and I would buy that in a place like Minneapolis proper. But what we missed is the... Some of the powers that be on the other other side of the political spectrum, I feel like, have actually been planning a takeover for the last 50 years. And they saw an opportunity, and they jumped on it. And the, the key takeaway there is not just that they were able to jump on it. It's that they've, they've been thinking about this for a long time. You don't just shift gears and see an opportunity like that and seize it without a well-put-together machine with a hierarchy and organization and all that stuff. Okay, how does that happen without somebody finding out? How, how does that, I mean, it just, it's the hardest thing in the world is to keep a secret. You're telling me some people have been mobilizing right underneath our noses for a decade and no one knew? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm telling you, because I don't think it's been underneath our noses. I think they've said they were doing it, and we've just, as a nation, chosen to ignore it. I mean, I, my question is the same as yours, like, how is the FBI, whose job it is to deal with domestic terrorism, not infiltrated and, and destroyed these Antifa formations? But all I can think now is that they haven't. I mean, th th there's no other explanation for it. All right, Clay. First thing somebody needs to do when it comes to urban survival, what are you talking about when it comes to urban survival? Are you talking going for a walk in downtown, taking back a downtown, staying alive if you're stuck in an apartment downtown? What are you talking about? Uh, you know, a little bit of both. Uh, I, I think I've said up front, uh, there are other people that can teach you how to skin a rat better than I can. But when we talk about urban survival, the thing that I think people miss with this is urban is different than rural because urban has people in it. It always does. Unless you're talking about, you know, post-EM, whatever, neutron bomb that kills human beings but doesn't destroy infrastructure. 
cities always have people. They always have. They always will. Therefore, your number one threat in a city, as we've seen, is not running out of you know spaghettios. It's actually getting killed by the mob or a rival faction or, or something to that effect. So, to me, the number one key to survival, and this is a, almost a, a dirty word to say in, the, in this day and age, is be armed and be organized. What does that mean, organized? Explain what you want people to do. You're going to have to talk to your neighbors or your, your coworkers or, or some way you're going to have to build an allied faction. Because unlike the movies, you know, no one man can stand against that many people. Uh, example I use in the book is, is uh, Chuck Liddell in his prime. Fantastic fighter, right? I mean, you know, world champion, bad dude, right? Can he beat up a toddler? Of course. Can he beat up 10 toddlers? Yeah, absolutely. But there is a volume of mass where even Chuck Liddell in the octagon will lose the two-year-olds. That might be 10,000. That's like 300,000 pounds worth of human being. But there is a point where that is a fact. Uh, and that's, that's really why, you're looking at these mobs and stuff, you have got to get your friends organized. How do I organize my friends? Let's assume... Let's assume I've got a neighborhood. I've got some buddies in the neighborhood. Maybe I'm not best friends with all of them. We have a couple beers on the weekend, talk about the kids, throw a little cornhole, do what we do. What's my first step? What do I say to them? How do we do this? Honestly, I think if you actually had beers with your neighbors, you're a step ahead of a lot of people. Right? Okay. A lot of people in the city don't even know their neighbors anymore. But you've got to, I mean, I think at this point, especially if you're in one of the cities that's burning, you've got to call them together. Maybe crack some of those cold ones open and say, hey, Look, guys, this is falling apart, and if we don't get together ourselves and defend ourselves, they can come here and take everything that we have. All right, we we have got to worry about the security of our families, and that goes, you know, that goes above and beyond political ideology. I don't think anybody's talking about you know building a, a right wing militia to stop the UN and the black helicopters or any nonsense like that. But it's just a, a simple conversation like you would have for a neighborhood watch, only you know turned up with a little bit of marine stuck in it okay i know you say right now you're kind of stuck with the weapon you have weapons aside because that's all the fun sexy stuff to talk about what should people be buying that they can buy right now i'm gonna say if you live in a city you want uh, fire extinguishers you know, like 10 12 of those things uh just i mean we've seen already first responders not being able to get to uh areas of the city because they're getting pelted with rocks and bricks you know, somebody, if, if a fire does start, especially if you live in housing that's close to uh, others, like even this neighborhood I live in, you'll be able to put that fire out. So that's very important. Uh, if you're actually worried about the, the looters and the mob, uh, some chain link fence, uh, a little bit of plywood, you know, start hardening your structure. I'm laying in bed at night. I'm in an apartment, a townhouse in an urban area. Front door gets kicked in. Let's assume I have a weapon in a family. Where do I go? Do I start bawling and crawl underneath my bed? Do I dive out the window? What Do I throw the kids in the bathtub? What do I do? I think this is absolutely different when you have a family, when you have kids, especially if they're not you know, in, in your own room. The best way to stop something like that is to take the offensive. Get in there and deal with the problem as fast as you can overwhelming volume of violence approach uh, approach approach do not hide in your closet is what you're saying <laughs> that is exactly what i'm saying do i get to bring uh, my tomahawk <laughs> left-handed obviously yes 
Obviously, it's a backup. <laughs> Clay, uh, hiding in the closet is no longer going to work. Okay. What do I tell the wife? I'm gone. The wife's there. Let's assume she has a weapon. Let's assume she sucks with it. That is the general case for most people, sadly, or at least she can access it. What do I tell the wife to do? I'm out of town. What do I tell her to do? Kids involved still. Okay. Same thing. Uh, you you've got to get in there. You you have got to overwhelm the the intruding force. Uh, and you know, oftentimes with a, with a mob or a home invasion like that, you can do it without even being effective. Uh, they're scared. They're scared of noise. Uh, we we had a, a little protest, counter protest thing here in Boise. It was smaller, but uh, one of the guys on uh, on Team Law and Order may or may not have negligently discharged an AR-15 in the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was what the police ruled it. That shut down the whole protest. Everybody quit and went home. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. None of these people actually want to stand and fight unless it's 30 of them against one other unarmed dude. Clay, go buy his book. It's on Amazon right now. Amazon.com right now. Real quick, what's it called, Clay? Concrete Jungle, A Green Beret's Guide to Urban Survival. Go buy it now. You need this book. Thank you, my brother. Thank you, my brother. How about that? Little Green Beret advice. Go get it. Hang on. You're listening to The Jesse Kelly Show. You're welcome. I don't know much, but I know this. I'm going to have a good night's sleep tonight. Are you? Do you know that as a guarantee? You see, I do because I have an ebb sleep. I have an ebb sleep, and it has changed the way I sleep. It's not just that I sleep well when I go to sleep, although I do that, but I fall asleep so much faster now. I don't have to deal with any more of those nights while I lay there staring at the ceiling, thinking about the day I just had, thinking about the day I'm going to have, going over my shows, going over the worrying about the country. I don't have to deal with that anymore. I lay down, and it's, I'm out. That's how it works with Ebb Sleep. At least that's how it works for me. It is a wearable device. It's not sleeping pills. You put it on your head, and your entire life improves as you pile up the sleep. Go to tryebb.com slash jesse. That's tryebb.com slash jesse. Use the code jesse at checkout. Get 25 bucks off. Youngest, youngest son tries to, well, tries to make some money. You see, I told you he's to take things apart, put things together. He gets these weird little trinkets in the mail where he has to assemble something and basically make a little basic robot out of it, and he does it. like he, It's what he prefers to do. He'll go close himself in his room and build. I mean, this is one of those guys. Probably going to make a lot of money one day. And he has discovered some not artificial intelligence, but as close as it seems like you can get for a kid's toy, something called a Cosmo. To be honest, I've never even looked at the thing yet. I guess they're like $350. Now, he doesn't have $350, obviously. And I'm certainly not just going to, on a on the fly, buy my son this $350. And I ain't spending $350 on him for Christmas or birthday or anything else. He's freaking nine years old. Not made of money around here. Even if I had $350 to just go blow, I wouldn't do it. I think it's bad for him. 
He does, because of Christmases or whatever, have something like 80-some dollars. And he wants this thing, and he wants it bad. He started a little Cosmo jar where he has all his money sitting out in the house. Like I said, he wants this thing really, really badly. Now, he has visited his grandparents, my parents, in Montana a few times. And they go out, and my my folks have a couple old, old Montana. Like I said, it's old and it's wild. They have a couple old, like, Wild West gold mines and copper mines on this thing. And you can dig up gems in there. My folks give him this little bag of gems they've dug up and they sifted through and they found them. And because grandparents are grandparents, my mother informs him that these gems are worth some money, worth quite a bit of money. My youngest, being the thinker that he is, comes to me a couple nights ago and says, hey, I've got this bag of gems. Let's go to a jewelry store and sell these, and then I'll have enough money for my robot. He has no idea how to get that much money. I'm like, buddy, you think a jewelry store is going to buy these? He's like, well, yes. They, I, they, I was told they're worth all this money. I don't even need max money for them. I'll take less than that, and I'm, all right, buddy, I'll take you to a jewelry store now. I tried to burst. I tried to prep him last night before we left. I went home, told him to get his bag of gems. I knew it was coming. We were heading down to a Corey Diamonds because Connie and Billy are down there. Connie and Billy Stagner, it's just a great place. And I told him, buddy, we'll go find out from them where you can sell these gems. But I want you to get ready for the fact they're not worth, there's a chance, I didn't tell him they're not worth, I said there's a chance they're not worth anything to anybody. And even if they are worth something, there's a chance Nobody wants to buy them, which means they're back to being not worth anything for anybody. Even if they're worth something, someone has to buy it to be worth anything. Oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Took him down to the jewelry store last night. And, of course, Connie and Billy are awesome because they're always awesome to everybody. But they really told him without telling him. It was really sweet watching them tell him, yeah, I mean, you should you should make some jewelry out of these and try to sell them to somebody. I mean, they couldn't have been better. And he just wasn't. Like, he couldn't wrap his mind around it. What do you mean? Like, you don't want them? <laughs> and I'm like, buddy, no. Nobody wants them. And it was one of those tough moments, Chris, where I threw him in the truck on the way home, and he talks all the time. He never stops talking, ever. Not a peep. The whole All he did was stare out the window. And I know he's devastated. And I want to do, like, part of me wants to do that dad thing. Where, Screw it. You know, I'm going to go home and I'm just going to give him the daggone money. And I know that's the worst thing in the world for him. So I wouldn't do it. Texted with the wife. She's like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. It'd be the worst thing in the world for him. Freaking kid was crushed, man. Even my cold, unfeeling, soulless self, I was like, Oh, dude. He got home and just went to his room for a while by himself. It sucked. (laughs) Absolutely sucked. If you missed any part of the show today, including the sweet, was it not sweet, 47 Ronin opening, you can find the entire show. Basically, right after the show, Chris uploads the whole podcast on iHeart. It's on Google. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. You can subscribe on iTunes. It'll automatically download. You can also on iTunes, please do leave me a five-star review 
and talk about how handsome I am as the Shogun. What, Chris? Jesse Shogun Kelly. That is such a cool name. I always wonder, did they know what cool was back in the day? When they came up with the name Shogun, somebody around there had to be all, that's freaking awesome. Let's, Let's call the head military guy the Shogun. Phalanx is cool, but I will tell you, it's it's probably three on my cool military terms. One, Dragoon is awesome. That's awesome. It's like a dragon in a platoon. Yeah, it is, idiot. But you have to admit, what tops Legion? Legion is sweet. It's a legion. A whole Roman legion. It just sounds ominous. How many legions does he have? I don't want to tell another Rome story tomorrow, but I kind of do. Because there's this sweet story out there we haven't told yet. Hmm. Well, whatever. I'll come up with it about five seconds before the show. Hang on. Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey is leading a discussion about how black Americans can't overcome and get ahead. (laughs) I think she's worth a billion (laughs) dollars. I'm telling you what, this place, man, what a clown world we live in. I'll tell you what. Tomorrow is Ask Dr. Jesse Friday. Email me your questions. I say this again. They do not have to be political. Email them to me. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. We're going to try to keep it light. We're going to have fun. It's a Friday. We do what we do. Y'all, we'll be ready. Whatever the future holds. That's all. Jesse Kelly Show. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What? Look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry 
with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.